excited to launch a new series this week called Living Word. And we are now uh, on the same sort of teaching series as Alive in Genesis, uh, which is kind of fun. So whether, if you kind of maybe go back and forth every once in a while, um, we'll kind of be walking the same path, similar. Um, obviously, Terry and I and Terry and Susan and I are all different, but we're excited about what this series means to kind of be going through um, the book of John, um, which will be good. I, some of you are maybe thinking, we just went through most of Luke. Like, why are we hitting a gospel again? I will tell you, because John is so different than any, other, any of the other gospels. So I'm excited about that, so please join us. It's going to kind of lead us into our summer series, which feels weird to talk about summer already, but it's around the corner. It's not going to snow anymore. And um, we're going to get ready to engage our community. And I think some of the things John has to say for us will lead us really well into going on mission, is what we'll talk about um, this summer. Um, as we get to know our community, we have block parties, we sort of get out there. So I'm excited. I hope, I hope you are too. I think it's going to be uh, an exciting time for us. Um, we just have, it's just different for us as we are kind of sitting in this space and we don't know everybody in our community yet. Some of you live here in Granville and you guys are great help in helping us discover um, different neighborhoods and, and where we should be, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting out there and having some parties in, in probably some of your driveways. We'll talk about that soon. Um, but I'm excited about this living word uh, stuff that we're talking about in John. So before we begin, let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, uh, again, thank you that we get to come into this place. I just pray that we can, for, for a moment, for the next, I don't know, however long, just surrender some of the stuff that we got going on, uh, that we can be fully present and engaged as we open your word to us, uh, and that we can learn something new, that we can engage it in a new way, that we can see something uh, for the first time. I just pray that your Holy Spirit be in this place, fill us each up, uh, and give us discernment and wisdom uh, as, we, as we open it together. Uh, you're good, and we thank you for the ways that in which you speak to us, and one of those being through Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. So John is just different. Uh, the other Gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels, and those Gospels, Synoptic meaning um, similar or seen together, right? So their accounts are all very, very similar, right? Some of the stories are uh, exactly the same, but John is 90% different and new information. So John's just kind of doing his own thing. So if you ever kind of go back and read, half the stuff in John is not found uh, anywhere else, which I just sort of think is interesting. So before we jump in, we have to do a little bit of context work if we're going to be spending the next few weeks in this gospel. So we need to know a little bit about John. So I had fun because some of this stuff, here's what you get when you get a, a, new, a new preacher, right? Like a new, like a, this whole pastor thing, it's, it's new, right? So I'm discovering all these new things, so you get to come with me. And maybe some of you are like, Rogers, I knew that already. Well, you're smarter than me and you don't have to brag. Um, but <laughs> Hey, you. All right. So John is different, and here's why. John is one of the disciples. He was called uh, in Matthew 4, along with Peter and Andrew. Um, you see Peter, Andrew, and then James and his brother John. That's that John. Uh, he was also known to be the youngest disciple. And by youngest, we're talking mid-teens, like young to mid-teens, so 14, 15 years old, which anytime I think about that, I want you to think of a 14, 15-year-old that you know. Make him John because it just changes sort of everything, right? 
Maybe Jesus had to talk about deodorant. I don't know. Anyway, he is one of the 12 disciples, but he's also one of the inner three. So Jesus also kind of took Peter, Andrew, and John, and they were sort of the inner circle of trust kind of thing. And, and Jesus spent more time, kind of when you meet people, maybe in your job or in your life, and they're sort of your, your inner circle of friends, you see something in them and you want to pour into them more. Uh, maybe if you like, have a job like that, or you've got just friends that, you've got your big group of friends, but then there's like the couple people that you tell it all to. That's, John was one of those guys for Jesus, right? He spent his entire, uh, he was with Jesus his entire ministry. So they were close. They were, they kind of functioned like brothers, like best friends. Um, one of, he's the, actually the only disciple that is, that witnesses his death on the cross, which I didn't know. That was sort of new information for me. I knew that a lot of times because of the, when it was all happening for Jesus, when he was being arrested, the disciples got scared, right? And they sort of dispersed. But John was the one with Jesus all the way to the end. And actually, uh, Jesus it, it spoke to him. Uh, was one of the last things he said before he died was, I want you to take care of my mother Mary. Right, like that's, that's, John, that's your job. You're my, you're my friend, you're somebody I trust. Like that indicates a really special relationship, right? Like I want you to be the one to make sure my mom's okay. That's John. He's also um, the first one uh, of the men uh, after the women find the tomb empty and the men go, he's the first one there. Interestingly, kind of funny, in John 20, if you read it, he likes to point out three different times that he outran Peter. So I feel like that tells us a little something maybe about John's personality, um, but he tries to tell us he outran Peter. He was the first one there. Uh, and John never refers to himself by name. And I can't, I can't quite get a clear answer on why exactly that is, but he often refers to himself as the other disciple. And in one instance, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. It feels like it's a really rather, <laughs> to laugh would be appropriate. I think that's, that's, a, that's a big thing to say. Um, but he, I think he knew because he has a closeness with John. So John's role in all of this, why is the book of John so different than the other books, um, is that after Jesus ascends, John's playing a big role uh, in ministry, in planting churches, uh, in preaching and teaching. Uh, in Galatians 2, Paul refers to him as a pillar of the church, right? And he spends 35 years operating mostly in Jerusalem, and that's the early 60s. Not 1960s, but 60s, right? Like, first century 60s, right? Exactly right, exactly right. So he later moves to Ephesus, um, where he's going to be a pastor for several decades. So that's kind of where he is when he starts to write this book. So around 90 AD, right, 60 years after the ascension of Jesus, John is 80 years old, right? So he's at the end of his life when he starts sort of beginning this epic tale. That's how John writes. John doesn't, he writes so differently from the other gospels. He's writing like this epic thing. And, and that's, it, not that it's, that it's not true, but he just has a very different writing style and he's writing from the end of his life. And I think when you tell stories, if you listen, if you have grandparents, uh, they tell stories very different, differently at the end of their life than you do at the beginning or when you're in the middle of some of those things. I think that's interesting. So at this point in time, Rome, 
is um, ruling the entire known world. Um, and Ephesus is the fourth largest city, right? So that's just good to know. They have about 250,000 people. Um, it's now modern-day Turkey. That's where it is. Um, Mark is the first one to write the book, uh, to write his biography of Jesus. Um, and that's in the late 50s, early 60s. So he's writing to Rome. Uh, and then uh, Luke and Matthew, shortly after that, write uh, from our to Antioch. But John is three decades later. He's getting the last word. I really feel like that was John's intention. Not was he, he was ministering and he was doing other things. But John strikes me as the kind of guy that did that for an absolute reason. And he wanted the last word on Jesus. Right? He has been sitting and, and thinking about the life and ministry of Jesus for, for decades. He is thinking about uh, the ramifications and implications of the Jesus story for decades. And he has details and stories that he wants to share differently. And he can. He can share those differently because the stories, the, the gospels have been circulating at this point for a couple decades. People know what Matthew, Mark, and Luke have to say. They know the Jesus story. So John gets to enter in and sort of tell a different story. He gets to tell uh, things from a different point of view. He takes us a little bit deeper uh, theologically into the implications of who Jesus was. Now, Ephesus is, is outside of Jerusalem, and I, there's just some things I think that are important to know as we um, kind of go through this. Ephesus is a place where a lot of Bible characters, I call them characters because in the story of the Bible, that's what they are, they come, including Paul. He spends a lot of time there on his third missionary journey. So we hear a lot about Ephesus. Um, but John is building sort of on this well-known foundation of the Jesus story within Ephesus. But Ephesus was this interesting place. It, it was full of um, Greek philosophy of the day. Um, he, there was all kinds of Greek influence there. Um, there was as many brothels in Ephesus as there are Starbucks in Seattle. Like, there were a lot of those. There, it was the slave trade capital of the ancient world, right? So some not so great stuff uh, is happening there as well. It's a, it has all the implications of a big city. Also inside of that, there are, um, there are Olympians and athletes and actors. Like this is a cultured city, and you maybe start to think about Ephesus the way that you would a larger city here. It's full, it has all of the things. And so John's audience is really, really broad into who he's trying to connect with. The Artemis temple is there, and so a lot of people came to worship that Greek god in this temple that was actually, when I think of Greece, I always think of the Parthenon as the one thing I sort of think about. No, four times bigger than that, right? So they had a lot of people that were not following the Jesus story, maybe actively rejecting the Jesus story. It's just sort of an interesting place that Ephesus is. And he's also spent time with the best and the brightest that the world has to offer as far as philosophy and thought and study goes. Right? He interacted with some of the great minds of the day. His brother was also the first recorded martyr in the book of Acts. So I think also John knew what, what it meant to sacrifice things for the gospel. John knew, had some feelings about what it was like to follow Jesus at costs that a lot of us can't imagine. 
right? So when, when he sits down to write the Gospel of John, he's doing so as a wise old sage, right? Somebody who has something important and different to share, somebody who has lived out the implications of Jesus for decades, right? He also has his own life experience to share, right? How his life is played out, how Jesus is, the story of Jesus has intercepted with his own life and changed not only the course of human history, but John's very life as well. And so he starts really, really differently, right? Jesus Christ is the living word. That's what we talk about, how he is referred to. And in worship planning, Jody was actually saying, I feel like word is this thing that it doesn't feel big enough. Like when we think about a, a word, it, it gets us maybe stuck and feels limited to, to one thing. Or when I think about limit, I think about like 142 characters, right? Like just some, something small, something. But language, when we think about words that we use that make up a language, that is something that is something bigger. That is something that is expansive and adaptive and expressive. It's colorful and imaginative. Jesus was God's language for us. A way for God to communicate with us was Jesus. So Jesus is a living word, but I think if we could take it a step further, I think John points to Jesus is the language of God. And so we're going to start at the beginning. So John 1, if you have Bibles or devices, uh, it's, when we read it, forgive me however I read it, because I feel like it, John is being a little bit mean, because John 1 is a tongue twister. It just, it just doesn't, you know, some of the prose he uses feels a little like when I'm reading my niece's Dr. Seuss sometimes. It's good, but it's, I feel like it's difficult. So John 1, start at the beginning, with the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you just pause there for a minute, we get that in the beginning... There's light and there's dark. What does that automatically, immediately have you go to maybe when you hear that type of language? Right? Creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light that it, and it was good and he separated the light from the darkness, right? The universe all of a sudden leaps into existence. It moves from chaos to order. It was ordered and it was beautiful and the light pierced the darkness and it was good, right? John wants you to, he wants that language to take you back to creation. That's why he uses the word in the beginning, it's so on purpose. Everything John does, he's kind of a genius. He's a theological ninja. He just kind of takes us to places before you even know it. I love it. And then he says, uh, and then he says, uh, was the word. In the beginning was the word, right? Later he's going to explain that he's talking about Jesus entering into human existence, right? Becoming flesh and bone for us. But he starts off talking simply about Jesus as the word, Right? And the word there is the Greek word logos, 
right? Meaning uh, spoken or written. Like it's a, it's a discourse. It's, it's knowledge, logic, reason. He's, he's got an audience in, in Ephesus, right? And so many of them believe wholeheartedly and are engaged in Greek philosophy. He's using logos on purpose. He's using logos to get their attention. And like, I speak your language. I get you. I know you think that I'm just sort of in the Hebrew scriptures, but I've got something new for you and it's for you. He was the word. He was logos. And so God speaks uh, in Genesis. All of a sudden, creation bursts forth. But you hear echoes from the Old Testament too, right? They talk about how the world was made by God's very word. God, we say it this way, God spoke the world into existence. You've heard that? Right? John goes above and beyond what anybody else has ever talked about in the Old Testament. Namely, that Jesus, he's laying it out for us so so clear and yet a little confusing, right, when you, when you look at it uh, as a whole. You have to zoom in a little bit, right? He's talking about Jesus being the creative force behind creation. Not just that, that God breathed the world into existence or that the word of God created the world, but that Jesus was there in the beginning. That Jesus, we, we got to know Jesus because he sent his son to earth, but he was with the Father from the start as part of the cosmic creator. That's so cool. It's really, if you think about it, it's our first really hint behind the theology of the Trinity, right? We don't have the, 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 the scriptures when we open it doesn't, doesn't talk directly to the Trinity, but this, this points to that, that Jesus was with the Father and the Spirit hovered over the earth. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being there at the creation, at the beginning of the world, and God brought everything into existence, and Jesus was at the beginning. Notice how he moves forward in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Not this John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, but came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Right? He came to his own. He came to the Jewish people. We kind of talked about that. We talked about Luke. They tried desperately to engage with that, to understand who he was. But when he was crucified, so many people didn't get it. Like he wasn't the Messiah. They couldn't figure it out. They wanted, they wanted to engage. So he came to those people, but they couldn't, they couldn't quite figure it out. Jesus is emerging. He's coming from the Hebrew scriptures. John's reminding us of that. That he was, Jesus was this promised person emerging from this story that they already knew. Verse 12. Yet to all who, who did receive him, who believed, right? To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And then my favorite. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. 
Verse 12 calls us children of God. When we believe, when we connect with this story, we are called the children of God. The creator of the world calls you children of God. That's amazing. That's unheard of. That's unprecedented. This God of the universe, if you're his children, you have a relationship with your children, right? Like I watch our families with their kids and the way we are with kids. We scoop them up and we pick them up and we kiss their faces and we play with them and we teach them and we love them and we would do anything for them. That's how we engage with kids. And when we believe, we are children of God. (sighs) That's awesome. There's a shift. There's a transition that John makes in 9, right? He's taking us back, uh, John 1 verse 9. He's he's taking us back to Genesis, right? We remember that in Genesis 1 and 2, God's creating the world and it was good. But we jack it up by by chapter 3. Right? Like sin enters the world, they eat the fruit, chaos and sin are introduced back into the world, and there begins the need for a savior, for the true light. And the rest of scripture is God trying to get back what was shattered in the garden, right? His goodness, his wholeness, his, um, his shalom, everything was as God intended it to be, and then brokenness, sin, chaos, pain and struggle and heartache. And it's something that you, we connect to, right? We, if I say those words, you can think back to moments in your life where that's happened to you or is happening to you right now. Whether it's happening to you in your personal life or you flip on the news and you just watch it happening in the world. We see the chaos all around us. So we can connect with John. This makes sense to us, right? The whole biblical story following Genesis 3 is God coming to, the, coming to his people, in this case, right, the people of Israel, and saying, we're going to partner. We're going to partner together, and we are going to put this whole thing back together, and I'm going to show you how. Right? In the Old Testament, it was sacrifices. This is how you're going to make that covenant again. And when Jesus comes, he says his covenant is a new blood, and it's through Jesus that he's going to make all things right. Right? Israel struggled to live into their identity and their mission. They had this rocky relationship with God, right? I mean, even think about their time in the desert. You know, thank you so much for getting us out of Egypt, but are we really going to have manna again? Right? Like, you don't believe what I can do? You are going to wander for 40 years. Oh, you know? They're going back and forth because they don't, they're it's having a hard time. I feel like I resonate with Israelites. My relationship with God is rocky at times. I want to trust and believe and to connect and to know and, and I have these things, but it's, it's difficult, isn't it? To, to sort of live that all the time. Israel struggled, we struggle, and what John is helping us to understand is that Jesus is emerging out of Israel, right? He's the one that's going to put everything back together and make all things right. Are you tracking with me so far? I feel like I got a little bit of like, I'm not sure what's happening. I know. Stay with me. It will make more sense. If it doesn't already, super sorry. Okay. John is saying that out of all the chaos in the world, out of everything that's happening, Jesus is the cosmic creator, right? He's come to break through as the light that created the entire world is now the light that is piercing the world through Jesus Christ. 
this whole imagery of light and darkness. That the, 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 the chaos that's now happening in the world, here comes Jesus to shed light on that. To bring it out of the darkness and into the light, right? He has come to save our world from ourselves because we keep jacking it up, right? The cosmic creator has now entered into the story as the cosmic Christ, right? The Christ, the Savior, the one who's going to make all things new and who's going to bring things back together. The word becomes flesh and bone, and he, in, in, in the message it says he moves into the neighborhood. I love that. That's what we want to do, right? If we have this belief and faith in Jesus, then he, his living word now lives in us, and we want to move into the neighborhood. Literally, figuratively, all the ways. We want to connect with people. We want to shed light into people's lives. And John invites us to believe, right? That, that we would see Jesus' story breaking into our story, impacting our lives, impacting the world, and then when we come to believe, we get to step into the family of God. You are now children of God, children of the light. When you have that belief, when you connect with who Christ is, that he is the light of the world, then you become sons and daughters of the light. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or what your pedigree is or race or things you've done before, this is an invitation that is 100% inclusive that is given to all people to see how the light is piercing the darkness. The cosmic creator took on flesh and bone and entered into our story, into the story of humanity. And John thinks it's really, really, really important that we get this. He keeps saying things. He keeps saying two, two things or phrases. One, belief. Believe, 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 believe. But also, bear witness, right? Bear witness. He uses, the, um, he uses the verb and the noun, right? It's important uh, to John. Actually, uh, just interestingly, so th that phrase, to bear witness, hap happens, um, says one time in Mark, nope, one time in Matthew, three times in Mark, two times in Luke, and John mentions it 47 times. It's important to John. It's important to John. John is very interested in this idea of bearing witness. And when I think about bearing witness, I immediately think of law and order. Huh? I know, right? It's like, okay, I'm watching Law and Order, one of the 16 shows that are on, and it's like I'm in a courtroom and I'm going to bear witness to a crime that I saw, something that happened that I'm going to talk about one time. Right? And so... That's one of the ways I think about what it means to, to bear witness. The other one, do you remember, um, there used to be a Nike campaign, and I found it too late, but LeBron James, remember him? He's kind of a big deal. And, uh, and there was this Nike commercial, and I, I wish I could show you the picture, but he's like in his stuff, and he's standing like this, right? And it says, we are all witnesses, right? Like this idea that we witness something great every time we see LeBron play. Or maybe you've been one of those, like, I was at the game when this happened. Or when you go to your kids, think, I was here when this, and I got to witness them doing, taking their first steps, whatever. We bear witness to something. We see something, but it feels really passive. You were just sort of part of it for a moment. And what, what John 
is talking about um, is more like when we hear about an X1, right? That we're bearing witness is, is not a passive thing. John was with Jesus at the ascension. When Jesus leaves earth finally, gives instructions to his disciples, and then leaves to go into heaven, he says this in Acts 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? Jesus is talking about witnesses. You will be my witness. Right? There's these concentric circles that are going out. You're going to start here, and then you're going to go here, and you're going to go here. You're going to start in your home, and then you're going to go to your neighborhood, and then you're going to go into your city, and then you're going to go into the county, and then you're going to go into the world. Right? It's, it's how we view missions when we want to think about that. Right? We want to be right here <clears throat> at home. We're connected to love. We want to be connected with uh, other things that are in our community. We want to start things. We want to partner with them. But we also care about what's happening around the world. So we have people that we know in Spain, in Guatemala. And how do we connect? We want to have those concentric circles. It's a ripple effect, right? You will be my witness. This is active participation language. There's nothing, there's nothing passive about this. It's, it's the active participation of putting Christ on display in your life. Let me say that again. This is active participation of putting Christ on display in your life. And there's nothing passive about that, right? It's not, I saw somebody won that one time and they did this really great thing. It's your life bears witness to the power of Christ in our world today, right now. John's whole message is believe and to bear witness. And I feel like we put the emphasis a lot of time on the believe part, right? You just gotta believe, you gotta believe, and you gotta believe, and then when you believe, then everything else will sort of fall into place. And that's, there's not, that's not wrong. You do have to believe first. But the belief moves us into action of bearing witness to who God is and how his story has intersected with your own story and has made all the difference. That's what we want to bear witness to. That's why John says it 47 times. We often, you know, we've taken a step further. Right? It's how, it's, how the, it's how you believe and what you believe gets played out in the rest of your life. Right? You can say that you believe whatever you want to believe. Right? I believe in this and that. But your life is going to give testimony to what you actually believe. I can tell you that I believe in a well-balanced meal and healthy eating and exercise. That I like kale chips. And I believe going to the gym um, three times a week and working out for 20 minutes a day is good for you. Am I a testament to that belief? The answer is no, my friends. The answer is no. Right? I can give voice to that. I can say those things about what I believe, about what it means to, to be and live a healthy lifestyle. Not true. My life says otherwise. So do my pants. Right? You can, but everybody believes something. In, in, in one instance, if you remember, um, say, well, I believe. Well, even the demons do that. Belief is this one moment. It's this, it's this first step. It's, it's the beginning, right? It's the beginning. 
But how does what you believe get played out in how you live? How are you bearing witness to the right things? You're already bearing witness to something. So right now, if we kind of do this like check to ourselves, maybe even for you guys, for write it down and think about this. What does my life speak to? If somebody were to follow you around for a month, they would be able to report on what they felt like your life was about, what you were bearing witness to, what you valued and what you believed. I don't want someone to do that, <laughs> right? Because there are times where my, um, my bearing witness is not what I want it to look like. And I think that's something that is true for, for everybody because we're human, right? But it's the how do we keep, um, how do we keep having that conversation with God ourselves so that we can course correct, right? When we've gotten off track because it means more than just talking about things and coming here and feeling really good and being together. What we believe governs what we bear witness to. It's just sort of the way it is. And John, John wants us to bear witness as the light of Jesus breaks into our life we have responsibility to bear witness, to bring that light into the dark places. And those look different for, for everybody. For some of you are coming, maybe, the, maybe some of those dark places feel like where you live, right? It's going to a family function where there's just some, some places that need the light, that need you to bear witness differently. How do we live and engage our lives differently so that people can see that, that Jesus is at the center. Oh, it's complicated, right? Like it just is. I want, I want us to be some, I want us to think about it more deeply because I can use great examples like uh, healthy eating. I can say, I want to be a better, I want to be a better witness bearer than the way that I am when I drive through construction, right? Like it's driving me insane. It's everywhere and I lose my mind because now Baldwin and Chicago Drive are a main thoroughfare and I want to yell at everyone. I want to be a better witness there, but I want it to go deeper than that. I want it to be in the way that I, the way that I treat everybody, the way that if you are, if you're a, a, a business owner, it's, it's in the way that you treat your employees with kindness, the way that you, how you pay them a fair wage. Um, it's about um, in your own life, what does it look like to love people with reckless abandon, expecting nothing in return. That's the way Jesus did it. I want to be more like Jesus. How did the light of the world spend time living? I need to, that's what I need to bear witness to. So, so what are those things? I think it just takes, us, takes time for today or throughout the, the week, or maybe it's just going to be the conversation you and God have throughout the next six weeks as we talk about John. I need to take an inventory of what I'm bearing witness to. What does my life look like? Who am I including and who am I excluding? How am I being a witness bearer uh, when it's hard? Right? In, in my relationships. When it doesn't always make sense. How am I spending my time? I'm, I'm doing a checklist myself. Can you tell? Because I need it too. I, I, we're bearing witness to something and I want what we bear witness to to be Jesus. 
because he's invaded my life and I have a story to tell and I, I get this ridiculous privilege of, of telling it from here, but when I leave this place, I want it to be the same for me and I want it to be the same for you. So what are you going to bear witness to? What are the things that you need to, need to figure out about uh, the way that you spend your time and, and the way that you, um, and just being honest with the, the ways that you struggle and that are difficult and what it means to bear witness. To do more than just believe, but a little bit of like, John's kind of saying like, put your money where your mouth is. And I want to do that together and I want to figure that out together because I'm still working on it, right? I just want to work on it together. Let's pray. God, you are the light of the world. Um, you love us in ways that are clearly hard for us to imagine and understand and, and definitely ways that are difficult for us to live into. We want to be more like you. We want to love like you do. We want to see people the way that you see them. We want to bear witness to what you've done for us. We each have individual stories of how you entered our lives. Some of us is because we've got these stories of, of walking away and doing maybe some things we're not proud of. And some of us have, have stories of growing up in these really faithful homes where you were talked about and we were taught to love and honor you. And maybe there's a mix of both of those things where we had to, to discover and to find out um, how your story was intersecting with our story, what it meant for you to shed light in the darkness of my heart. Um, I just pray that we can, we can think deeply about those things, that we want to be more like you. We want to bear witness to, to the truth that you are the light and the love and, and that you, you bring redemption and wholeness and restoration that's what I want to bear witness to. Help us to figure that out together. Help us to continue that conversation with you when we're alone in a room and we can just speak really honestly with nobody else around and it's just us and maybe we can confess some things and you can, you can give us your Holy Spirit. We know that you do that. When we ask, you will give us what we need. You promise. And so I pray that we can do that and that you'll fill us with your Holy Spirit um, to, to live and to learn and to... to to bear witness to who you are and who you say we are because we stand in the light of Jesus Christ and that makes us look different and beautiful. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen.